Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, it's no secret uh, that we are definitely uh, living in a very tough uh, economy, tough financial times. And, um, you know, all of us, I think, are feeling it, and certainly our government is feeling it. And actually, I just found out this week, um, to kind of help everybody, they've gone with a very, very simplified tax form. Okay, so like in a couple, next couple of months as you're putting this all together, it's real simple. It looks like this. How much did you make last year? Send it in. That's it. It's all taken care of. Uh, we are in this series we're calling The Game of Life, and it's godly wisdom for real life. Um, and the whole point of this is understanding your life is always moving. It's not static. Your life is moving in one direction or another. And, and the direction that you're heading and where you end up in this destination of your life is pretty much going to be dependent on the choices that you make. Um, in fact, actually, if you, if, you play, if you ever played the game of life, um, they kind of know this whole thing too because they give you your game piece as a little car because they know life's always moving. You don't stay in the same place. Uh, your relationships, your friendships are moving. Your marriage is moving one way or the other. Um, your family life is moving one way or the other. Your finances are moving one direction or another. The choices that you make here and now are going to determine where you end up the rest of your life. The choices that you have made up till now have pretty much determined where you are at this point in your life. And it's true of every arena of your life. And so two weeks ago when we started this series, we just gave up a foundation for the whole thing. It's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Now, we did this a couple weeks in a row, okay? So I'm going to test you again this morning. It's a very simple verse. We asked, gave you a memory verse, a uh, little card, so you've got two weeks now to memorize this, all right? So it's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. You ready? Trust in the Lord. And he will make your path straight. That's what it's all about. In fact, the whole book of Proverbs is how to make the right choices. It's part of a larger body of, of our Bible called the wisdom literature. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. They're all pretty much talking, dealing with life issues. And, and Proverbs is just, it's filled with godly wisdom on how to make the right choices. And, and, and to think of it over the long haul, that's the whole idea, that he will make your path straight, that he'll allow you to be able to see beyond the here and now to see where that destination is going to lead you if you make the right choices. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, a guarantee. This isn't a formula for success. This is just saying this is the general direction you want to head with your life. And if you do, over the long haul, your life will be better. Your life on this earth will be better, and certainly your entry into eternity will be better. And so sometimes people say these things, okay, so I tried that, you know, and I tried it for like two whole weeks and nothing changed. <laughs> this is long term. You've got to think beyond two weeks. And the real issue, the real issue in all of it is a matter of trust. Do I really believe that God loves me and he has my best interest at heart? Because if I believe that, then I'll follow his directions. I'll obey his commandments because I know even if I don't understand them, they're leading me in the right direction and he has my best interest at heart. And if I don't really believe that, then I'll really be shaky on the decisions that I make. Um, and particularly, by the way, particularly in this whole area of finances. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I just want to just kind of start off with just kind of a 
quick survey, if I could. Um, how many here, just I'll go through all of these and you can raise your hand on any one of them. Um, just by a show of hands, how many of you here would like to live with less financial pressure and stress? How many would like to have a little more breathing room in your budget? How many of you would be, like to be able to give more to needs like Haiti and other things that come up? How many of you here have ever made a bad financial decision? Okay. So today we're going to give you some help because your Heavenly Father wants those very same things for you. He really does. And, and 3,000 years ago, in the writing of these Proverbs, God knew. Who would have thought 3,000 years ago we would get advice for living today? But the, the things that he talked about back then are the very same things, in fact, maybe even more so today. But you've got to think long term. So what we're going to do this morning is kind of delve into the Proverbs and um, kind of scattered about a bit. Um, so you'll find that you know, it doesn't follow a train of thought necessarily. Um, and, and that's why, by the way, we encourage you to, to read through the Proverbs each day of the month. There's 31 Proverbs for 31 days of the month. And um, today's the 17th. Go home and read chapter 17. Because there are, there are things there that will help you. There's at least one thing in each chapter that's going to help you for that day. Um, so here's what we're going to do. And talk about four choices you can make based on godly wisdom that will change the direction of your finances. Guaranteed. Over the long haul, you will be better off if you will make these four decisions. The first one is simply this. Determine what your financial focus is going to be. What are your financial goals? Now, you play the game of life, and it says, it always says, you know, every game you play, the object of the game. You play the game of life, the object of the game is to come to the end of your life with more money than everybody else. (laughs) You end up with the most, you win the game. So let me ask you, what are your financial objectives? Where do you want to end up financially? What, what grid, what decision-making process should I run um, all of my financial decisions through? Some of you might say, uh, my financial goal is, is to provide for my family. And that's a great goal. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible talks about providing for your family. But what about helping those outside of your family? Where do they fit into that picture? So you might say, well, um, my goal is to just make all I can. You know, just work, work, work hard, you know, rises, promotions, just make all I can. Okay, you might end up with making a lot, but do you know how to manage it well? Because if you're just, your goal is to just make it all, doesn't mean you're handling it well. Maybe you're saying, my financial goal is to prepare for my retirement. Yeah, that leads to a lot of questions. First of all, how much do you need? How much do you plan on living after retirement? How much are you going to need to spend each year for that? It's a good goal, but it's not the best goal. Some of you might say, I'm a saver. That's my financial plan is save as much as I possibly can. I just save, 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 save. And you're a wonderful savior, but you're really, really miserable to live with. (laughs) Because if anybody wants anything out of you, they just got to beg, borrow, or steal to get it. Because you're a saver. Saving is good. But that can't be your ultimate financial objective. Some of you would never say this out loud. But your actions say, my financial objective is to spend. (laughs) I buy, 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 buy. Something new comes out, I buy it. Now, you wouldn't say that out loud if I asked you to raise your hands. Nobody raised their hands on that one, but your actions say it. So what are your financial goals? What's your financial focus? The book of Proverbs, God's word says, your financial focus ought to be, and it's the only right one, is to honor God. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. 
Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. And your vats will brim over with new wine. Your bank statement says everything about your values. My bank statement, my check, well, it used to be a checkbook, now it's all online. But, you know, my bank statements say an awful lot about my values and my priorities. In other words, it tells me my heart. And that's what God wants. He wants your heart. Now, maybe you grew up like I did. I grew up in a church. And, and my parents taught me from a very, very young age. When, when you make money, 10%, it's called the tithe. 10% of your money, you give back to God. You give to God's work. You give away. And, and, you know, when I was a kid and I made 50 cents, you know, 5 cents goes back to God. And when I became, you know, a teenager and my paycheck was closer to 50 bucks, okay, $5 goes back to God. Now, here's the misunderstanding that I got through all of that because it was a really good principle, and it is, by the way, a godly principle. But here's the misunderstanding I took away from that. As long as God gets his cut, I get to do whatever I want with the rest. (laughs) As long as he gets his 10%, he got his cut, okay, I'm free to do whatever I want. That is not a godly principle. Godly principle is that I honor God with all of it. 10%, 10%, I start off by giving him. But the rest of it, I still have to honor God with that. That's a godly principle. And I know a lot of people balk at that. They go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's my money. Don't tell me. I mean, you know, if, if I let God into my finances, he's going to take it all. You don't know God. Did you see what he said here? Your, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs 10, 22, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. God is a generous God. And if you think you, if you choose to honor God with your wealth, he's going to take it all, you're mistaken. Because truthfully, if God wanted to take your money, he doesn't need your permission. <laughs> he could do it. God doesn't want to take your money. But what he does want is he does, doesn't want your money to take you. And that's what so often, often happens. Why do we take all of our financial cues and our financial advice from our culture? Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is buying. Everybody else is financing. Everybody else. It must be okay. Why do we take our cues from our culture? especially in the last two years when we see where that leads? Why would we do that? Businesses and companies and marketers who all want something from you. When we know that our Heavenly Father wants something for you. It's the only smart place to put my trust. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. If the last two years doesn't prove that true, I don't know what does. But the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. You got to decide what's going to be your financial focus. What are you going to do with your finances? Second decision, you can choose a lifestyle that is within your means. Choose a lifestyle. Understand this, okay? materialism, money, is an appetite. And what happens with an appetite? The more you feed it, the more it grows. You feed the appetite of materialism, it's not going to go away. 
It's not going to soften its call. It's going to get greater. That's what appetites do. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Why? Because money and materialism is an appetite. And the more you feed it, the bigger it's going to get. And by the way, this was written by the richest man of his time who knew that by his own experience. See, either you will choose your lifestyle or somebody else will choose it for you. Because here's what I know. Every one of us in this room live on a percentage of our income. Every one of us do. Some percentage, don't know what it is, it might be different for all of us, but all of us live on a certain percentage of our income. We talked about this uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. This whole idea. Um, if your lifestyle is equal to your income, in other words, you're at 100%, what you take in, you give out, you spend out, okay? If, if your lifestyle is equal to your income, you will live with constant stress and financial pressure. You have no room for margin. If something goes wrong, you are sunk. Not a good way to live, but there's something worse. If your lifestyle exceeds your income, you know what they call that? Upside down. It's a bad way to live upside down. And here's the thing. You are always trying to catch up to your lifestyle with your income. And, and the thing, you never do. Because you keep, you keep trying to bump up your income, but your lifestyle keeps going up higher too. And so it's this constant chase. Your lifestyle keeps increasing, your income increases, that's great, but your lifestyle keeps increasing above it. You are upside down, you are always chasing it, and talk about financial pressure. It is not a smart way to live. And by the way, if you are living over, if your lifestyle is over 100% of your income, in the long haul eventually, Somebody else is going to determine your lifestyle. It is guaranteed. It might be your creditors. It might be a bankruptcy judge. It might be somebody. But over the long haul, if that continues, eventually somebody else is going to determine your financial picture. You won't get the choice anymore. So choose to live within your means. Choose to have your lifestyle below your income. See, if, if your lifestyle is below your income, there's something there that's called margin. <laughs> Breathing room. So when a tragedy comes or an emergency comes up, there's a cushion. You've got something there. It is a much smarter way to live. And you get to choose. Proverbs 12, 11 says, A hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. And living beyond your means is chasing a fantasy. It really is. Now, some of you say, well, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't gamble. I don't play the lottery. By the way, what, what is the slogan for the California lottery? Does anybody know? Who's next? It's like, who's the next victim? You know? Yeah, well, I don't do that. I don't play the lottery. I don't gamble. I don't do those kind of things. Listen, if you are living above your means, you are living a fantasy world. You are living thinking you are richer than you are. And that is a fantasy. It really is. It's not reality. And your heavenly Father wants something better for you. He really does. He wants you to live below the 100% line. 
Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little. Remember, we're looking over the long haul. You might make that decision after two weeks and say, well, I don't have any more than I had before. Over the long haul, little by little makes it grow. You start saving, putting away little by little. And if you keep at it over the long term, down the road, you'll have margin. You'll have that breathing room. Third decision, get rid of your dumb debt. <laughs> that, by the way, I can't take credit for. That comes from Dave Ramsey. And we could argue all day about wise debt, dumb debt, you know. Um, you know, mortgages, we're not going to talk about mortgages, we're not going to talk about business loans, because uh, we could argue whether which one's wise and which one's dumb. But we could all agree, we could all agree on the debt that is dumb. Dumb debt is financing something that is depreciating while you're paying for it. You are paying for it while it is getting worth less. It's, 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 if you are paying still for a car that has long lost that new car smell, that's dumb debt. It has depreciated, yet you are still paying, and you are paying more. Look at this next verse. I love this. Do not be a man who strikes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched out from under you. Which apparently means furniture is a dumb debt, okay? <laughs> right there. If you don't know whether you should finance that new bedroom set, there it is, okay? Who would have thought 3,000 years ago he knew about Bassett furniture, you know? <laughs> your clothing, your meals, your vacations. Ow. Because <laughs> that one hits me. And, and by the way, let me tell you, I got enough dumb debt for all of us. <laughs> I've made stupid financial decisions. But you've got to make a decision to change it. See, whatever bad decisions you make, you can change them. You can change today. You can start making different decisions. What he's saying is don't tie up the future, your future, because of debt. Look at this next verse. The rich will rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, by the way, if you pull out your memory verse cards, yeah, pull them out. This is one of the memory verses for today, for this week. And, and this one we ought to all say together, okay? Because if this is not a truth, nothing else is. Read it with me. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, if you don't even remember the first half, remember the last half. The borrower is a slave to the lender. In fact, you might want to take that little card and glue it to the back of your credit card. <laughs> so every time you pull out that plastic, you see, oh, oh, borrower's a slave to the... Do I really want to do this? You know, when they ask for that security code that's on the back of the card and you see that one, you go, oh, there's my security card. <laughs> that's my number. Your heavenly Father does not want you to be a slave to anyone. He cares about you. He doesn't want us to be slaves. And by the way, even, even if you put something away on 0% interest for five years and you pay it off in five years and you don't pay any interest, you have still locked yourself up in slavery to that monthly payment and you don't have that money to spend any other way. So even if you, even if you think I'm, it's a, no interest and I pay it off in time and it all works out fine, you are still locked into a payment that limits your ability to function in your lifestyle. 
because you're chasing a fantasy. And again, I am, I am talking to myself as much as anybody else. I have made some dumb choices, and I'm paying for them. But we've decided we're going to get rid of this dumb debt because it just doesn't make sense. See, your heavenly Father cares about you as a person. The credit company, you call them up and you give them your name. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. Try it. Call your credit card company. Hey, this is Ken Jensen. I'm just calling about my account. What are they going to ask me for? What's your number? You're not a name. You're not a person. You are a number to those people. Try it. What's your account number? What's your number? That's what you are. Your heavenly Father cares much more about you than that. Now, if you will firmly commit to those three, you will be much freer in this last one, which is really the whole point. Establish the practice of generosity. And it takes practice. See, your life, we've been saying along, your life is heading somewhere. Your character is heading somewhere. Your soul is heading somewhere. And our culture, our culture equates net worth with self-worth. Remember the object of the game? To have the most. Our culture says, get all you can, spend all you get, keep all you have. That's the philosophy of our culture. The object of the game is most. I I saw a bumper sticker. The one who dies with the most toys wins. I'd change that. The one who dies with most toys still dies. (laughs) Still dies. So what did you win? What did you win? God says that is not the object of the game. The object of the game, more important than what you get, is who you become. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. That's talking about character. That's not talking about a formula for success and wealth. It's talking about character. Verse 25. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Theologian Miroslav Volf makes a distinction. He talks about there is, there is a richness of having and there is a richness of being. And we think that the richness of having equates to the richness of being, and it does not. Richness of being has to do with character and soul, life. John Ortberg writes about that in his book, and I love the title of this book. It's a great book if you haven't read it. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. But he writes about this. He says, We seek richness of having, but what we really want is richness of being. We want to be grateful, joyful, content, free from anxiety, and generous. We scramble after richness of having because we think it will produce richness of being, but it, is, but it does not. On the other hand, we can have very little and yet be rich. A rich soul experiences life differently. 
It experiences a sense of gratitude for what it has received rather than resentment for what it hasn't gotten. It faces the future with hope rather than with anxiety. Riches of being is always available. I can seek it at any time with God's help to be compassionate, generous, grateful, and joyful, and stuff can aid me in this. But usually it will not mean seeking to accumulate more stuff. Richness of having usually means not, does not mean getting more stuff. Rich, uh, excuse me. Richness of having usually means getting more stuff. Richness of being is generally associated with giving more stuff. Jesus' goal of richness towards God always involves richness of being. See, ultimately, ultimately, the objective of the game, as God has laid it out, Ultimately, the objective of the game is that our character becomes more like his. That our soul becomes more in tune with him. That's the object of the game. And he is a generous and gracious and good God. And he wants those to be the signs of his people. Good, gracious, and generous. He gave us life. And he gave us a beautiful world in which we could enjoy it absolutely free. And then, when we went and spoiled the whole thing by our sin and destroyed our very souls because of our sin, he kept giving. He gave his one and only son who came to this earth and gave his one and only life so that he could give us forgiveness and give us a new life. God always operates from a position of grace. And what he wants for his people is to do the same. And when we give and when we become generous, what happens is we bring just a little bit more of his kingdom to this world. And after all, that's what it's all about. Now, you've got to reorder your finances, and that's going to take time. And for some of you, think this is going to take like four or five years. It probably won't. It'll probably take less time than you think if you're committed to it. You could probably do it. If you could say, by the end of this year, I'm getting rid of all of my dumb debt, I'm reorganizing my finances, and I'm going to become a more generous person. If you just decide that, and that becomes the modus of operandi for everything that you do, every financial decision you make, it will change. It will change things. And if you don't quite get it all done by the end of this year, you'll be very, very close. Now, let me say one thing before we close. Please understand, please understand, this has nothing to do with your standing with God. This has nothing to do about paying your way or earning your way into heaven. It has nothing to do with that. Your standing with God comes as a gift of his grace by the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That is the only thing you need. But he's saying if you want to live rightly, if you want to live wisely, then get your life more in line with God's character. And you may not have richness of having, but you will be guaranteed richness of being. Do you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. Oh, 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 oh,